Good evening, Veritas Church. Check, test. There we go. Good evening, Veritas Church. My name is Greg Balzer. I'm a pastor here at Veritas Church, filling in for Pastor Eric. They call this pulpit supply. Eric's been enjoying some time away with his family, and I know I speak for all the pastors and for probably the body as well here at Veritas, that we uh, wish him well on his time with his family, and also we look forward to his return rapidly here into full ministry and, and purpose and position. And it's kind of cool because, you know, it's like when dad goes away and he gives you the car, take the car, the, the gal, your, your date to the prom, right? It's, so it's, it's been a, a good learning opportunity for all three of us, Greg, Morrow, myself, and Jeff Casanelli. But we are looking forward to Eric returning back in full capacity. But while Eric's away, I'm thankful to be here, to the opportunity this evening to preach the word. We are continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the fourth in a series of sermons. And tonight we're specifically looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, as, as Tom read. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier, and um, actually it was David Reeves, and I mentioned that, yeah, we began this study in July of 2019. So yes, we've, we've made the progress of 10 verses in approximately 12 months. Uh, probably a number of you, if you're doing one of those go through the Bible in a year studies, you've covered the entire Bible in the time I've covered 10 verses. But I will say that sometimes lingering is a good thing. The, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount are kind of like a, a good meal. And it's worth spending some time over chewing on the good words, meditating them on them, and spending time savoring what God has in those words of the Beatitude and the Sermon on the Mount for us. And I hope, basically, that um, through this study, a small bit of the blessing that studying these verses have been to me will be a blessing to you as well, too. We're going to be looking at the last beatitude this evening. There is some debate whether or not there's nine beatitudes or eight beatitudes. Um, I'm going to side with the commentators that call chapter 5, verse 10, the final beatitude, and consider verses 11 and 12 to be an elaboration. And we can have that debate later, but, but I'm going to call this the last beatitude, verse 10, and I'll actually share a bit why when we get there. And again, as, as Tom read that, the, that one verse... It goes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be looking into actually what persecution is, what it is for, and even, if I'm successful, how this persecution can actually be considered a blessing. Persecution is an uncomfortable and common occurrence these days. Persecution could be defined... I had to look it up, right? To be criticized in an angrily insulting manner, to be mocked, ridiculed, or made fun of. And this, this persecution could be by acts of, of, of violence, physical violence. It could, be through acts, it could be through words or even laughter, that scornful laugh, ha, 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 right? These are all different ways to be scorned or to be persecuted. 
We can be triggered in a number of different ways by something we do, by something we don't do, by something we say, by something we don't say. And I would say as well, um, if any of you uh, pay attention to social media, I think we could all agree that persecution is, is probably very common these days. If any of you uh, participate in, in Twitter or Facebook, um, and maybe you've, maybe you've commented and made some innocent comment regarding some particular topic, and you think, well, of course, this makes perfect sense. I'm going to amen to this or whatever the comment was, right? You, you validate somebody's statement, and you come back the next morning, and lo and behold, you've got 30 responses all over the map, and everybody's all irate, right? So the slightest remark these days can actually lead to a seemingly disproportionate response, and frequently that response can be considered in some ways persecution. But we're not going to be looking at just persecution this evening. We're going to be looking at a specific type of persecution, persecution that comes for righteousness sake. And that persecution, I would suggest, is probably somewhat rampant as well, too, right now. And maybe it's even increasing. I don't know. We'll see what we saw where we go with that. Being persecuted is an uncomfortable experience, right? Nobody likes to be chastised or made fun of. Um, Nobody wants to be the object of ridicule or the the butt of somebody's joke. So how could persecution ever be a blessing? We're going to look at the answer to that question in just a bit. But first, context is really, really important, um, especially in reading the Bible. You could probably take the Bible off the shelf, open it up, plop your finger on any one individual word or verse and pick it out and then try to interpret it. And I guarantee you that probably consciously or unconsciously, there's a really, really, really good chance that you're going to interpret that verse incorrectly because you're missing the context, the bigger picture that's going on. And and I'll admit to, as I was going through these verses in, in the Sermon on the Mount, there were several verses that I always thought meant A, And as I did more studying, I discovered that perhaps I've been interpreting those incorrectly for a long, long, long time. All this to say is that um, context is really, really an important thing. So before we get into this one verse this evening, I'd like to provide some context that actually provides a foundation for our study of chapter 5, verse 10. And for those of you that are taking notes, we're going to be looking in this overview, first and foremost, at two things. We're going to be looking at who Jesus is and who we are. Who Jesus is and who we are. So the the Bible has a lot to say about Jesus. And if you just browse through the first couple chapters of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and you look at some of the section headings, you can get very quickly a good idea of what the context is in the book of Matthew and also in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew starts out in chapter 1, verse 1, with a genealogy of Jesus, looking at the lineage of Jesus. And Matthew drives home the point that Jesus was of the son of Abraham and a son of the King David. Shortly after that, we read in Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. After that, in Matthew 1.23, we read that Jesus is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. 
a bit further on in Matthew, chapter 4, verse 17, as he begins his public ministry, Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom with these words. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So who is Jesus? He's our long-expected Savior, the long-expected King. He's God, Emmanuel, God with us. With Jesus, our King and our Savior has arrived. So that's who Jesus is, and that's an important thing. Tuck that in the back of your mind. We'll bring that out later as we get into looking at our verse specifically. Let's look next at who we are, Jesus' disciples. Sermon on the Mount, this is a bit of a review of a review of a review. Um, Because we do this like once every year, I end up like spending all my time discussing the Beatitudes at a high level. Hopefully when I preach next month, we'll be able to, you guys will memorize all this stuff, right? We'll be good to go right into it. For those of you that forgot what I covered back in December as a review of the Beatitudes, but this is really good stuff, right? The Sermon on the Mount is introduced by the Beatitudes. It begins with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes consist of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. So the Beatitudes act kind of like a preamble to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes have a specific, narrow, targeted focus. The Beatitudes talk about who Jesus' disciples are. Not who they're trying to be, not who they want to be, not who they should be, but who they are, who God made them to be. You might remember from last time these Beatitudes sound something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Again, these Beatitudes talk about who we are in Christ. The later verses in the Sermon on the Mount talk about who we are as disciples as well, too. But these Beatitudes focus, but these verses focus on the law. Escape. These verses focus on the law, boyfriend, girlfriend, and what we're supposed to do. (laughs) So where the Beatitudes talk, we're looking at what Jesus says about who we as disciples are, and we looked at basically who the Beatitudes said the disciples are. These later verses where Jesus talks about the law talk about who we are as well too. These verses read like commandments because they are commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, love your enemy. These verses tell us how we are to act. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there's this tension all the way through. There's, always, there's, there's verses that talk about being and who we are in Christ, and there's verses that talk about doing and what we are to do as a believer in Christ. And the key point that I really want to drive home here, the key point that resolves these tensions is that being leads to doing. Only Christ-like being can lead to and result in Christ-like doing. Only a heart changed by God's grace can can perform God's gracious work. Only a heart changed by God's grace can comply with both the letter and the spirit of the law. So let's look at an example of this. Um, In the first beatitude, uh, it reads something like, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to me. If you're a Christian, is this not true? 
It's only the poor in spirit, those that know that they were once enemies of God that are truly able to love their enemy because they remember that when they were once enemies of God, that God, he graciously reached out and loved them. God's grace towards redeemed sinners changes our hearts and from those changed hearts, our actions, our deeds, our motives are all changed and we're able to be about God's business by God's spirit. It's only a heart transformed by God's spirit that can yield Christ-like action. So who are we? Who are you and I? We're forgiven sinners whose hearts have been transformed by God's grace and by God's spirit that we might be his people and joyfully do his will. Okay, with all that background in mind, the table is set and we're ready to eat dinner. We're ready to begin our study, but before we begin, um, I think I'm going to need help, and I think you're going to need help too to understand me. So would you please join me together in prayer before our good God. Father God, thank you for providing Jesus as our high priest, our mediator, whose perfect sin and atoning death makes it possible for us to approach you in prayer, to confess our sins, to ask for your help, and to faithfully expect your help in our time of need. Lord, we come to you this evening an expectant people. Open our minds, we pray, that we might understand and apply the truth of your word. Transform our hearts as well, that we might be more completely, more completely conformed to your image for our good, for the good of your church, for the good of our city, in our state, in our nation, but most of all, Lord, for your eternal glory. Amen. Okay, let's dig into dinner. Matthew 5, chapter 10 reads, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at a couple things. Let's look first at... Let's look at three things. Who this blessing is not for, who this blessing is for, and then we're gonna look into the mystery, the difficult question of how this persecution could possibly be a blessing for any of us, right? Who this blessing is not for, who this blessing is for, and how this, blessing, how this persecution could be a blessing. Okay, first off the bat, who is this blessing not for? Now raise your hands. No. This blessing is not for the offensive or the obnoxious. We've got the gospel, right? And we're sharing the gospel. And the gospel is naturally offensive, right? The cross is naturally offensive. The gospel is naturally offensive to the humanist. The gospel is naturally offensive to the proud. The gospel's naturally offensive to the self-confident and the self-righteous. Persecution, well, what I should say is the gospel's naturally offensive because basically it shows us our inability in our own strength to be who God's called us to be. 
And so naturally, we want to stuff that down and not look at it, right? If you are to if let's say you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and let's say the gospel's offensive and they're getting upset, some people might be tempted out of anger or competitiveness to add offense beyond the natural offense of the gospel. And what I'm reading here basically indicates that added offense beyond that of the gospel itself does not qualify for this blessing. Just because somebody's offended, right? Just because somebody's offended does not mean that you're being persecuted for righteousness sake. You might be, you might be being persecuted, but not for righteousness sake. We'll look more at this in a bit. Discernment is called for for each of us, right? The Bible tells us not to cast our pearls before swine. There's a time to share the good news, and there's a time to confront with the good news, and there's also a time to, to be quiet and take your pearls with you and walk away from the table. Jesus is not calling us to be martyrs, necessarily. Jesus is calling us to point people to Christ, and if that leads to martyrdom or persecution, so be it. But I think you get the point, right? We're not going to go out of our way to torque people and rub their face in the offense of the gospel, where our goal is really to win them to Christ. So, as a recap, at this point number one, the blessing is the blessing is not for the offensive or the obnoxious. I'd further suggest, I probably even shouldn't go here, but um, my good man Martin Lloyd-Jones did, so I'll just mention this in passing. If you've got a problem with this, come on down, I'll talk to you afterwards. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, suggests, and Greg Balzer I think would give this a somewhat hearty amen, that uh, this persecution is... Uh, this persecution basically is this blessing. That's where I wanted to go with this. This blessing is not for the political. You may choose to mis mix your Christianity with your politics, and there's probably an appropriate time for that. But in many cases, mixing politics with your Christianity, and if that causes offense, um, and maybe they're offended over your political platform or your position and not the gospel, I would just suggest it's, it's getting in the way and that that's not actually, bringing politics in it is not going to gain you the reward you really are shooting for. Well, there may be some reward, right? Might be some reward for offensive or obnoxious or political persecution. That's not the blessing Jesus is talking about here. So that was the nature of the blessing. Let's look at who this blessing is actually for, is for. Okay, this blessing is not just for those that are persecuted. You could be persecuted, eh, no guaranteed blessing. This blessing is specifically targeted towards those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And this persecution is defined in uh, Matthew 5, verse 11, and 11 and 12 kind of expand on verse 10. That's why some consider this all to be the same beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 reads, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And this gives us a better handle and an understanding of what this persecution is actually like. To revile means to criticize in an insulting manner, to mock, 
to laugh at scornfully again. Persecution is to subject somebody to hostility, to harass, to annoy. Maybe your kids do this sometime, right? Or maybe you do this to your wife, right? To persecute, persecution can also involve false accusation. And while persecution by itself is normally bad enough, being falsely accused of something, either something proper or improper, um, just adds an additional level of pain to this persecution. The disciples are persecuted. Why are disciples persecuted? Because the kingdom values, those values that we saw in the Beatitudes, are opposite the worldly values. Meekness, mildness, uh, poverty of spirit, humility. These are all values that are the opposite of the world's. And when you or I or anybody else exhibit these qualities, they frequently make others feel convicted. I've got an example. Um, It's been a while, but I remember years ago, I was on the lawn with a friend um, in back of the office that I work for. This is the, these were the days when you could hang out together with people and not worry about catching a disease or a virus. And um, we were having lunch together, and we, went to, we had gone to uh, Cal Poly Pomona together, go Broncos. And um, so we were pretty good friends. And we were just chatting at lunch, and I don't think I was really necessarily sharing the gospel. I really wasn't. I didn't have the four spiritual laws out. I wasn't really, I think I was just talking about my life and what I was doing. And all I know is that I don't know what I said. I really don't know what I said. And then he asked me this question, how religious are you? And I was thinking, it's like, well, how do you answer a question like that? I was really, really kind of caught off guard. I, I didn't really know how to answer. Again, I really wasn't preaching the gospel, but I have to think that I'm obviously some measure of my enthusiasm of, uh, for God shown through in some way. So for all of us, I think we can, we can have reassurance and have hope in the fact that, um, that as we live our Christian life, um, God shines through. And that Christian life, that beatitudinal character, there's a word for you, naturally can cause offense. Let's look at a couple of examples of this from the Sermon on the Mount. We're first going to look at um, somebody that was persecuted for righteousness' sake, and the primary person persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is like Sunday school. What's the what's the number one answer in Sunday school? Jesus, right? We're going to look at Jesus and how Jesus is persecuted for righteousness' sake. The Beatitudes describe Jesus's character. Jesus is the ultimate one who was mourned who is poor in spirit, and who is meek. Jesus as well is the one who was persecuted for his righteousness. There never ever was a man as patient, kind, loving, just as Jesus, yet he was crucified for that righteousness. In a similar way, we can say this same theme in the disciples' lives. Jesus actually promised his disciples persecution In John 15, verses 18 to 20, we read, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So both Jesus and his disciples serve as examples for us of those that have been persecuted. In a similar way, we face persecution as well. Let's now look at the most difficult question to answer. How could this persecution ever be a blessing? Before I go there though, there's my sidebar warning. Persecution is only a blessing for believers. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you may receive persecution, but it'll not be for righteousness sake and it will not contain a blessing from God. Jesus spoke not only in bold, strong terms of the arrival of his kingdom, he also warned of a coming judgment when he said, even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If these words concern you, if you're not a believer, if you desire to be reconciled to God, your creator, if you desire to receive blessing and persecution, I really would encourage you to come down after the service and I'd love to talk to you one-on-one. For the rest of you, let's look at how this persecution could possibly be a blessing. And for those of you that have memory problems like I do on what the verse really says, again, chapter five, verse 10 reads, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is, the, what is the reward in all of this? What is the ending of this beatitude? I'd like to suggest that persecution is a blessing, most of all and first and foremost, for what this, what this verse says it is, because, it's because of the kingdom of heaven. The arrival of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus the king, it inaugurated, it kicked off, it began his kingdom here on earth. We looked earlier, remember, at who Jesus is? Jesus was introduced as the promised Messiah, the king in the line of David. Remember Matthew 4.17 where Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember earlier when we looked at who we are? Remember the Beatitudes? Remember that set of verses that describe the attributes of Jesus' disciples? They begin and end with the promise of the kingdom. The first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, acts as a doorway into the beatitudes. It's the poor in spirit, only the poor in spirit, that are able to enter the kingdom of heaven. But note again that that first verse ends with the words, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the similar way, this verse we're looking at this evening, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, end with those exact same words, what a coincidence, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a book ending going on here. The, there's a theological term, and they call it inclusio, and basically it's, it's, it's red flags. It's a begin milestone and an end milestone. It's a begin construction sign and an end road construction sign, right? These these, these words, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, act as a delineator to de- define and indicate 
the limits of these Beatitudes, but they also drive home this key point that those that are in these Beatitudes, the disciples, you and I, that possess these Beatitudes also are in the kingdom of heaven. These Beatitudes describe not only the attributes of Jesus' disciples, they also describe who is in the kingdom. Jesus' disciples. Brothers and sisters, you and I, if we're saved, we are members of the eternal kingdom of God. This is a kingdom overseen by a sovereign, holy, righteous, perfect, just, and gracious king. We're members, through Christ's work, of an eternal kingdom that has no beginning and no end. We're members of a kingdom of grace, a kingdom that was alluded to in the Garden of Eden just after Adam and Eve sinned against God and fell. A kingdom whose final fulfillment we saw described in Psalm 2 as Tom read that Psalm to us earlier. The Psalms always talk about Jesus' conquering and his rule over all things. And we see that it doesn't always hold true. Everything is not yet as it is to be. Everything has begun, but it's not yet here. But this kingdom will be fully revealed, and everything in those imprecatory psalms will be true, and they'll be fully revealed when Jesus comes again. So, how could this persecution for righteousness' sake ever be a blessing? Well, I I found three points that I think were kind of relevant. Point number one, we now have membership in the eternal kingdom of heaven. That's a blessing, right? Sometimes it's hard to remember that. We get so wrapped up in everyday life, reading the newspaper, worried about where we're going to have church this week, where the kids are going to go to school, right? And we forget about the long game, the big picture. Don't ever forget and let it be reassuring to you, Christian, that we are members of an eternal kingdom, this eternal kingdom of heaven. Secondly, persecution drives home a second point, that God is actively at work in transforming our hearts for his glory and for our good. And as our hearts are changed by God's spirit, we're able to be about his business. That's the second blessing. The third blessing is that God, it's an indication, this persecution is an indication, um, not really a red flag, maybe a gold exclamation point, that God is active in our lives. When we see people, unbelievers, unintentionally um, convicted by our being around them, we realize in some ways that basically our, our Christianity, our walk is being validated. We're not really going out of our way to share the gospel, but the gospel's active and it's moving and it's alive and it's woven inside of our beings, our being. These are good things. These are blessings. These are blessings that we brought about to us by persecution. Persecution for righteousness' sake causes God and his blessings to become real and more tangible in our lives. The passing pain of persecution is overwhelmed by a greater peace and joy, that of knowing that we are members of an eternal kingdom, shepherded by Aunt Emmanuel, God with us, who will guide our lives as he carefully brings us by his side 
to a place prepared in advance for each of his disciples. And in closing, persecution for righteousness sake is a blessing because the passing pain of persecution is overcome by a greater, much greater peace and joy. That of knowing that we are members of an eternal kingdom shepherded by Emmanuel, God with us, who will guide us through our lives and carefully direct our lives to bring us to heaven, to a place prepared in advance for each of us. Amen. Let's close this portion of our service in prayer. Father God, we thank you for teaching us in your word who Jesus is, who we are in Christ, and how we are to live in light of this reality. God, help us, we pray, to meditate on these truths, how they could shape, form, and mold our daily lives. Help us, we pray, to die to ourselves, to die to our pride, to die to our self-righteousness and our self-consciousness, confidence. God, help us, we pray, to look to Jesus only for our righteousness and our confidence and our hope. God, help us to rejoice when persecution arises due to righteousness as it enters into our lives. May we be shaped by your loving hands as the potter shapes the clay, shaped, formed, and put in preordained places to teach and redeem and for your glory, amen.